Well, hey, let's get started into the message. Uh, I am super excited to get into this. How many of you are ready to receive this morning? Say amen. We're going to have a great time this morning. This message is a continuation of last weekend, but let's take a moment. Let's pray. Let's believe that we're going to receive all that God has for us this morning. Father, we come to you with grateful hearts. We truly are thankful for your word that is incorruptible seed and it will not return void. I believe your word is going into good ground today. Those that are watching, listening online, those that are here and present. Father, we thank you that it's going to produce not just 30 or 60, but these are hundredfold producers. I believe that our eyes are open, our ears are open, ready to receive, and hearts ready to believe. In Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Well, we want to continue our series on we're a team, and we're going to continue building the foundation of submission. I know it's a tough subject. It's, it is a tough subject. It's sometimes been abused, uh, manipulated, and, and godly submission is something that most people just don't understand or comprehend, and yet there's tremendous power in unity between a husband, a wife, between family members, between a church, and so on. But again, it has been so abused over the years that some people are afraid to even touch this subject, and yet there's tremendous power in it. So, for example, I heard about this couple. They had just gotten married, and uh, they rented horses for their honeymoon, and they're galloping down the road. And all of a sudden, this horse of the wife stopped in mid-tracks, was disobedient, was not being submissive at all. She would get off the horse, and she would look the horse in the eyes, and she'd say, that's once. She did that a couple more times. That's twice. When that horse was not being submissive, finally, on the third time, she got off this horse. She pulled out her revolver and shot the horse dead. The husband looked at her appalled, and he said, honey, you can't do that. That is a rented horse. She looked at him in the eyes and said, that's once. So godly, godly submission is so important. There is tremendous power, and we want to tackle the subject today because there is tremendous power in unity. In Psalm 133, verse 1, it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren, based upon what translation you're reading, it actually says brethren and sisters, to dwell together in unity. Fast forward to verse 3. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So in unity, there is a commanded blessing, and one of the main techniques that God uses is submission to create unity. So we want to talk just a little bit about that because it's not just any unity. We're talking about kingdom-minded unity. Jesus said it best in Matthew 6, when you seek first the kingdom of God, in other words, his ways of doing things, then all these other things will be added unto us. So we become more unified with Christ and with each other when we follow God's plan and his ways. How many want more peace in your life? How much, you know, joy, love? I mean, it all comes from Jesus. And so many times people don't understand that concept when they're just beginning their journey. They think, well, I'll just do it my own way. And uh, they find out, hey, this leads to devastation, self-destruction. But a Christ-centered marriage, a Christ-centered family, a Christ-centered church brings power when there is unity applied. There is so much on this subject that we would love to talk about this more for weeks to come, but we're going to do our best to wrap up this part of submission today. And so I want you to understand our goal as a church, our goal in our marriages, our goal in our relationships with our kids, our goal in our relationships with our friends, our goal with employers, employees, is to create unity 
not competition among each other, but completion. In fact, I remember one time Amy and I were just getting to know each other, and we knew that we both had a little bit of lion personality. If you've ever taken some personality tests, well, we knew that we both scored pretty high in that, but uh, we, we love competition, and we have kind of a strong streak of it in both of our bloodlines. So to make a long story short, we said, hey, let's go get checkers. Let's go buy a game of checkers and play a game of checkers. This is just in our beginning time. You know, we're just getting to know each other. I'll tell you what, within about 10 minutes, we literally threw that game in the garbage. No joke. We threw it away. We realized, oh, my goodness, we cannot let competition between each other uh, separate us. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 19, verse 6, it says, let no man separate what God has joined together. First Amy, chapter 3, verse 2 says, let no competitive game separate what God has joined together. Okay, this is not in the Bible, but it should be. So we're a team, and the quicker that a husband and wife as a, a family, as a church, the sooner we realize that we are here to complete each other, not compete against each other, but to complete each other. So now we, we do compete, but we don't compete against each other. We complete with each other and uh, when we compete. And so we compete against other couples and things of that nature. But anyway, we've learned our lesson, maybe the hard way. Uh, you know, as Sean mentioned, we do want to talk more about godly submission today, but also with that godly leadership, because that's really why submission has gotten such a bad rap is because people look at uh, leaders like Hitler and they think, well, I don't want to submit to someone like that. And you shouldn't submit to someone like that. Uh, and there have been people, husbands, who have taken that in the home and acted like a Hitler of the home. And that is not the kind of thing we are supposed to be submitting to. And in that, uh, that's what's given submission a bad rap. But if you look at teams, if you look at a football team, is a team going to make it to the Super Bowl if they are not listening to their coach? Is a team going to make it to the Super Bowl if uh, on the field they aren't listening to the plays that are called by the leader on the field? They're not going to. And so it, there is this uh, order of authority that God set up. And it doesn't mean that the coach is smarter than all the players. It doesn't mean that the quarterback's smarter than the players. It doesn't mean any of that. Some of the players may be smarter than the coach and the quarterback combined. But God set up this level of authority just so things function in proper order. Now, off the field, there are discussions going on in practice time and all those kind of things. But when it gets to the game and a, and a play has to be called, you need to submit to the leadership. Otherwise, there's going to be chaos. And really, what that, that's what submission is about, is having godly leadership, godly submission, but also godly practices where you're working together as a team off the field when the plays are having to be called in the moment. You're getting feedback from the other players, those who are on your team. You're getting feedback from them so that you're really working in unity. So it's not, submission is not about someone telling you what to do all the time. And really all of us who are following the Lord, we should all be leaders in our life to somebody and we should all be submitting to someone, husbands and wives alike. Uh, children should be learning to lead others, and they should be submitting to their parents. Um, Sean, he has leadership over his life. You know, he, he's not just uh, someone saying, uh, telling everyone what to do in the church or any of that kind of thing. 
He, he takes feedback openly and very much prays about it. Uh, he never forces uh, dominance on anyone. If you know his personality, he, he doesn't force that kind of thing. And so there's this godly submission and godly leadership. And in James 4, 6 and 7, it says, but he, meaning God, gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. And that would include submit to the places of authority he's put in our life as long as they aren't asking us to sin or do ungodly things. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. God-ordained submission actually brings equality in our life because if you look at a team that wins the Super Bowl, do they all get the same Super Bowl ring? They do. They all get that equality, and yet there were levels of authority on that team that they all submitted to to get that same result of equality at the end of being the Super Bowl winners. And so you look at that, and there's great power in it. Jesus said in John 10, 30, I and my Father are one. So Jesus submitted to his heavenly Father, and through that submission, he became one with God. And in that, God actually gave Jesus authority. If you look at John chapter 5, uh, it actually says in the Bible that, that God actually is going to choose not to judge people himself, but he's giving all judgment to Jesus. And so Jesus is the one that will judge people, not God himself. And he says he's giving Jesus that level of authority so that all will honor him. So Jesus is brought into this level of equality with God. But, but Jesus, um, he had to work at submitting to God. This didn't initially come easy to him, and a lot of people don't realize that submission is not an easy thing, uh, especially to God when he's asking you to do something that, that requires going beyond what you feel you're capable of, maybe, or loving someone beyond what you feel you're capable of. Jesus, we see that in Matthew 26, 39. He was about to go to the cross, and understandably, he really didn't want to go die on the cross. This was a painful thing he knew he was going to have to go through. And he said, oh, my father, this is him in prayer. And he says, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then he goes on in his prayer, and we hear what he's praying. And in verse 42, he says, oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. So we hear in, this, in the, these two prayers that he's no longer saying that it's not his will to go to the cross in that last prayer he just prayed. He's saying he's willing to do it, your will be done. And that he's, through prayer to God, he's allowing the heart of the Father to come into him to make him yielded to what the right thing is to do. And, you know, that's really the first step in unity is the power of prayer. When we pray for someone or when we pray with someone, we're yielding to the will of God and in that allowing him to put his will inside of us. And in yielding to God and praying with, with others, we are building a unity that's very supernatural. That's why um, sometimes you'll hear Sean or I say, uh, a marriage or family or friends that pray together stay together. In other words, they stay in close unity. They stay in close bond when you pray together. And it's because there's this bond that's formed. I remember once Sean had, I think it was a dream one night, and the Lord was talking to him about couples that pray together. And the Lord said to him, it's like this. It's in, Sean said in the dream he saw a welding torch coming out of heaven down on a couple that was holding hands, praying together. And the Lord in the dream uh, expressed that, um, do we have any welders in here? 
Anyone who knows how to weld? If you weld two pieces of metal together and you're a good welder, you can make it stronger at the weld than any other place on the, on the two pieces of metal. And so it's, it's hard, you can make it hardest to break it if you did a really good weld. And the Lord was showing him that when you pray together as a couple or as a parent-child or friendship or anything like that, you're making this bond on your relationship from heaven that will hold you together in the hard times. And that's so very important to do. It's like Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven forgive their sin and heal, some versions say restore their land, which would include their marriage, family, finances. But it really all boils down to this. When we pray together, when couples pray together, when friends pray together, um, but specifically I want to talk to marriages right now. If you're married and you pray together, really what happens is in that prayer time and in the unity that God brings, there is a... uh, You could call it submission, but another word I would use for it is a respectful heart that is formed in the wife toward the husband when they pray. So husbands, if you start praying with your wife, you will see over time, and I believe even within like a three-month period, you will see her heart becoming more respectful towards you. And likewise with husbands, ladies, if you yield to praying with your husbands, uh, husbands will see their wives become more... um, uh, the wives become more respectful, but the husbands will also become more love, loving, more soft and gentle with their words, uh, more honoring in that way. And it just creates this beauty within the relationship that makes it a strong team when you're praying with one another. It's just like the submarine. Without question, it's when you are connected with Christ, that love flows into you and it flows out of you. And when you're praying together, it is like that torch coming out of heaven, just welding you together as one, becoming more like-minded and unified. And in unity is where the power is. So again, the submarine, when it submerges into the water, what it does is it's got power that it can release now. It can work and do what it's intended to do, the potential of the submarine. But if you take that, again, that submarine out of the water, it's not going to be effective. It's not going to be able to do what it's intended to do, reaching its fullest potential. So in the same way, when we submit ourselves to God, now we've got his power, his love, his resources flowing into us and through us, and we become like a submarine in water. And so we need to remember that outside of God, we can do nothing, the Bible says. We can't even take the next breath outside of God's mercy and grace. Now, Philippians 4.13 reminds us, though, on the other hand, in Christ, we can do all things through him, his anointing, who strengthens us. So I know division is what the enemy's after because he knows that hurting hearts hurt people. But on the other hand, on the positive side, healed people bring healing. So God is after unity. He's after bringing, not proving who's right and wrong. He's after unity in marriages and families because eventually we're going to get it all straightened out. We're going to get it all figured out. But as long as we stay submitted to God, his plan, his will, we'll start coming up higher. We'll become like that submarine. We'll become super effective in our marriages, our relationships, our friendships. Our church will become even more powerful. But in that unity is where the commanded blessing is. So if we keep our goal to stay unified in Christ, not trying to prove who's right and wrong, but just saying, God, it's your will. So when I'm doing counseling, I'm going to have people come to me and tell me what's going on from their side. And then I hear his side, her side, you know, that kind of thing going on. But there's always God's side. 
And so as long as we keep a right heart, because you can be totally right, but totally wrong in the heart. And God is so interested in keeping unity that you just submit to him and say, God, I trust you to deal with this. Let me tell you a quick little example. There was a woman who married a man, and she thought he was a pretty decent guy. And so in the first six to eight months, she found out, okay, he said all the right things, but he became abusive in their relationship, totally physically abusive. Now, she was a praying woman. Thank God for praying women and men. But she understood the power of prayer, so she submitted herself to God and did her best to be respectful to be honoring towards him, even though he was super dishonoring. Now, she could have gotten uh, legal, you know, law enforcement involved and stuff like that. But for whatever reasons, she just chose to say, God, I'm going to trust you, and I'm not suggesting you do this. You need to know the power of prayer in order to do this. Otherwise, I suggest you just call the police is what I'm suggesting. But in this case, she really seek and pursued God. She submitted him, herself to God and said, God, I trust you to deal with this. And I trust you to lead me in this, to be effective as a wife. And sure enough, one night, the Lord came to this man in his sleep. And he said these words to him. He said these words. Jesus said to him, if you abuse her one more time, you're going to hell. That man shot up out of his sleep, sweating. And he started shaking his wife, saying, honey, honey, wake up. Honey, wake up. Please wake up. She shot up out of bed like, what's going on? And he said, I need to apologize to you. Will you please forgive me? Will you please forgive me? Will you please forgive me? I apologize. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. She didn't know what in the world was going on. Fifty years later, hand in hand, loving her like Christ loves the church, he got a true revelation of the power and the authority that's in the name of Jesus. So, again, what submission really is, women, is learning to duck so God can hit the right person. Amen? Submission is powerful. And when those men need some, you know, life jerked out of them or whatever it is that they need to be jerked out of them, God will deal with that man or that woman. But submission is super powerful in learning to submit, not being a doormat or a floor mat. I'm not talking about that, allowing people to abuse you. I'm not suggesting that in any way, shape, or form. But learning to trust in God and his power that you're staying united with him, letting him deal with the things, your enemies even, to deal with them the way he can deal with them. And he can deal with them any way he wants. But here's the key, though. Husbands, wives, we need to remember in Ephesians chapter 5, 21, to submit. We've got to submit to one another. You know, it goes on to say in verse 22, wives submit to your husbands. But we need to remember right prior to that, we need to understand we're supposed to be submitting to each other. So even though there may be ranks, Jesus submitted himself to the Father. There is ranks of angels and so on like that. Before we can lead, we have to first learn how to be led. And so this is the key is learning to submit to each other, learning to consult with each other. Because God can speak to the wife just as easily as he can speak to the husband. Now, some of you husbands have probably learned this the hard way just like I have, and some of you wives have learned this the hard way. But I can say that Eve was taken out of Adam, but on the flip side, the rest of the Adams that have been born since and all the men that have been born since and have come from woman. So we are supposed to be interdependent upon one another. We're supposed to be dependent upon each other. We're supposed to be submitting to one another. And I think this is so vitally important to remember that it takes teamwork to make the dream work. It takes both of us submitting to Christ to be reaching our fullest potential in life.
That's so true. God really does as a couple want us being interdependent on one another. And if he gave all the revelation to the husband, the husband would never need to depend on the wife and ultimately would become very prideful. And God doesn't set relationships up that way. He wants us to be very interdependent on one another. And so we find in our own marriage and in all the other marriages we've met and counseled that God will speak to one or the other. Sometimes he speaks to both, but often it's just one or the other. Uh, and it really causes you to stay grateful for each other. And, and when you see the Lord working through your spouse, when you see that uh, they tell you something and then you, there's a confirmation that they've heard from the Lord, it makes you very grateful thinking, oh, they hear from God. I better make sure I'm paying attention to what they say all the time in the future. And in one area we've seen this a lot in uh, couples, ourselves as well as others, is in the financial area. God typically doesn't encourage couples to make a big financial decision, uh, going into a business, making a large purchase without consulting your spouse. All those out there married say, I agree. Um, because that can cause some serious problems. And so typically we've seen there needs to be agreement in financial decisions. And also the Lord will use this to warn one another of dangerous people. And so that's happened both Sean warning me as well as me warning him. Oftentimes I don't see it with the person or he doesn't see it with the person. And we've seen it just pegged right on numerous times of people who would be, um, people who would steal or just be dangerous to work with for one reason or another. And often the Lord is just going to tell one of you, and if your spouse says, I strongly feel this from the Lord, uh, and you've seen them be right, You've seen them be right on a number of things like that before. You need to be taking that very seriously. Um, there have been a couple of times where we've known couples who, uh, one couple I remember that they had told us, oh, the husband said, oh, I learned to listen to my wife in regards to stocks. He said, you know, my degree is in this. I'm very good with stocks and normally can just peg it very well. But he said, we had a lot of stock in one certain company, and I mean, they had like over $100,000 in this one company, and he said, my wife told me that she kept getting in prayer that we needed to pull it, and that it was going to start going down, and it would not return, and he said, she told me that twice, and he said, I told her, no, I've got, you know, a lot of money in that, that stock's been doing great, and she said, well, uh, I, that's what the Lord told me, I'm just telling you what he said to, to say, and so a couple of weeks pass, and that stock plummets, and they lose like $25,000. And she goes and prays again and says, Lord, do we still need to take it out? And she heard the Lord say yes, and she went to her husband, and he had told her that they had lost $25,000. Do we need to share mics here? Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and so... She told them again, we need to sell this stock. And he said, no, we've already lost $25,000. i am not going to sell that stock. Thank you. I'm not going to sell that stock. And again, it drops more. And they ended up losing like $50,000 on that stock. And he, he, after the second plummet, he said, okay, what did you hear from God? And she said, we still need to sell. It's not going to return. The stock is just going to go out. And he said, okay, so we sold, and that did prevent them. The stock, the stock did not return. 
and uh, but they had lost 50000 in the process. We know another couple that similar situation, and the wife kept getting in prayer, and over a couple of weeks, they lost 20000 in stocks. We know uh, some couples that the husband was adamant about going into a certain business, and the, wife, the two wives, um, two separate situations, were begging him not to, saying, I know that I know that I know that I've heard from God in this. I just have this bad feeling about it. Don't go into this business. And in both situations, both husbands ended up owing the IRS within just a couple of years around $100,000 that they couldn't pay, not to mention the business debt. And after the husbands repented, the Lord graciously, over about a five-year process, got them out of that hole they had been dug, uh, gotten dug into. But God works that way in marriage because we aren't supposed to be living life without the other one's unity. And, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of stories of women making choices that the husband wasn't in agreement with, too. But we're just saying here that uh, in that scripture in Ephesians 5, yes, it does say wives are su to submit to husbands. And that is true. Uh, however, when there is a financial situation, a uh, decision to be made, that is something that we really are supposed to be submitting to one another. And as a scripture before that said, making sure we're in full agreement over those things. That's true. And parents and kids should be doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. So if the kids have a dream, so for example, I had a boss one time that had a daughter that went into modeling. Now, she had an, uh, an option, a contract that came available for her, and her mom didn't feel good about it. And she said, honey, I really don't feel good about this contract. It just doesn't seem right. I really think we need to pray in the spirit. We need to pray together. We really need to take this to the Lord. And so they took time. They took several days. They prayed over it. And sure enough, eventually, the daughter started yielding and sensing something by the spirit. So it can go both ways. It can be sometimes kids sense some danger. It can be parents sensing danger. It could be a spouse sensing danger. It could be a friend but there's something powerful about wise counsel and surrounding yourself with other like-minded believers that can pick up the things of the Spirit of God, that can help protect. So submission is powerful, but it's also your protection. So God-given authority comes through submission, God-given submission. And it's there intended to protect and to be able to help bless. So there is tremendous power in this. I can tell you there's so many times where I've had a thought to do something, but I've made the decision. I will not move forward in our decision-making without Amy's blessing, without her agreement. In fact, I remember there was a number of years ago, uh, I saw this truck that was for sale. It was a nice-looking truck and a big engine. I'm telling you, it was nice, nice. Say nice. I mean, it was nice. Come on, guys. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, uh, It's like your dream truck, and the price was ridiculously low. And I thought, okay, this has got to be God all over this. You know, honey, look at this price. I don't know, honey. I just, something doesn't seem right. Well, it can't hurt to just go look at it, right? She, well, I don't know. Something just doesn't seem right about this. So I convinced her through my wonderful influential gifting of saying, come on, let's just go look at it. And so we go look at it, and I, I pointed out, and I'm like, look at this truck, the banker. We were there, and we were going to do something with the bank on this one. And uh, I said, the banker's saying, this is a crazy deal. you got to get your hands all over this one. But Amy just kept sensing, something's not right about this. Something's not right. So we took some time and prayed, and we know you just don't make a decision without agreement. So we prayed over it, and I wasn't really picking anything up. And so Amy was getting it so strong, though, I said, okay, I don't know why. But sure enough, we found out it was someone who had bought a truck 
and uh, they didn't. They were not a legal um, American, and they had forged signatures. Long story short, it would have been a horrific mess for us to have gotten into. And I thank God that she had the sensitivity, but it was a testing of humility between the two of us. Can I humble myself before Amy? Can I learn to submit before what the Holy Spirit is saying to her? Because the Holy Spirit may not say the same thing to me, because submission, godly submission, means learning to trust and yield to each other, learning to trust that they can hear the Holy Spirit's voice, and sometimes he's only going to let them hear the Holy Spirit's voice to find out how humble we truly are in our relationships. Again, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, it reminds us, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Trust your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, not for all of you women. Some of you guys can outdo some of your men here, but, I mean, I've seen you. You're strong, so cookies, but treat your, okay, so treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. And let me say this, women, please. Hear me loud and clear. Please let the man honor you. In the Midwestern states, we have had a liberal movement of women saying, I can open the door for myself. I can do it myself. And what they're doing is they're trying to prove I'm just as equal as you. And I can do things just as equal as you. Did you know the difference between the South and the Midwestern states and what we're dealing with is? Women are getting exactly what they're getting, but they're not getting the blessing now. And what I mean by that is, for example, when we were down in the South, boys are trained. You honor that woman. You open that door. She may be stronger than you. She may be bigger than you. But you just show her respect. You show her honor. So they're saying, okay, God, I'll do my part. And they're allowing it down in the South. Women are allowing men to treat them with honor, to open the car doors. And I'm not saying everybody down in the South is this way, but this is what we discovered. It was so much to the point where women were so honored in the South that I said to Amy, anytime we needed car repair, I said, honey, would you please bring our car to the mechanic today? Because I have seen the favor and the honor that women have on their lives. Now, in the Midwestern states. I always got better deals done there than he did. Yeah. Now, in the Midwestern states, because there's been such a force of, I can do it. I can do it. I'm just as smart and capable, and you are. But the problem is what's happened is they push a liberal movement as saying, don't honor me. Don't respect me. No, hey, I'm not weaker than you. I can, I'm stronger. So what happens in the north is that I bring the car in because I've noticed that they'll take advantage of women. So women, please understand this is a biblical principle. Let that man honor you. There is a commanded blessing in just showing respect towards you. You are supposed to receive that blessing. You're supposed to. That's why we have ushers that walk you in. You are capable of walking to your own chair on your own. But we want to show honor because, number one, honor to whom honor is due will come. But the fact is, is that God says we're to honor you. We're supposed to do that. So let us honor you. Amen? Now, I want to say Submission, again, um, is something that's so powerful, and, and kids need to see this, right? Do, uh, one thing we like to tell parents is, uh, as far as honoring, one of the things you can do to honor one another in your marriage and honor your children is to have couch time together. If your kids are ever acting up, it's typically because they feel like mom and dad's relationship isn't safe. Or if you're a single parent, they just aren't seeing security in you in general. If you're a single parent, one of the things you can do is have time with Jesus in front of your kids, and that will build a similar security to them. But if you're married, have your kids see you sit 
sitting at least 10 minutes a day together on the couch or someplace in front of them where they can see that you have a, a relationship with each other, that you're talking with each other. Maybe you're praying with one another. Uh, we have seen parenting problems of kids that were very, very troubled get settled when the parents would actually just sit and talk for 10 minutes a day somewhere where the kids could see them. And it just creates such a security. We've heard of kids that were bedwetting, um, age two, three, four, five. We've heard of kids that would just wake up steady in the night. And when the parents implemented couch time for 10 minutes each day, just talking or praying in front of their kids, it would take care of the bedwetting. It would take care of the kids getting up throughout the night continually. So th there's a big power in the kids seeing that there is a, a solid relationship. And again, like I said, if you're a single parent, sit and read the Bible in front of your kids so they see that you're in submission to God, that you have that connection with your higher authority, uh, and that will also produce security in their hearts. And again, husbands and wives, we encourage you to keep the conversation super positive during that 10 to 15 minute couch time that you have. Nothing negative, nothing harsh, nothing difficult that you're going through. That 10 to 15 minute moment is for the benefit of your kids to see. It's beneficial for your relationship, obviously, but it is allowing for your kids to see a security in your relationship. And so we, what we want is one thing that we've discovered is that the first thing we look for is when there's unstable kids is we look at the marriage. Because when there's stability in the marriage, then there's stability in the kids. So the reason why we implement this principle and we encourage you to implement this principle is and even if you're grandparents, please do this. Your kids, your grandkids need to see some type of security in their life because there's a lot of dysfunction and a lot of busyness today with schedules with husbands and wives both working. Kids are seldom seeing their parents together. And the kids, the parents are like, well, we're going to get time together when we go to bed. That doesn't benefit them. They need to see mom and dad together. They need to see mom. If you're single, they need to see mom seeking Jesus. They need to know that there is a greater source in you, that they can trust that you're trusting God. They can trust you. So, for example, I remember one time my dad was in a process of, um, he started a business in a town that was about 40 minutes away from where we lived, grew up, and my sister, my oldest sister was in 12th grade, going into 12th grade that year, and the rest of them are getting older, I was getting older, we had developed our friendships, and he came to us one day and he said, kids, I, I just, I really believe that we're supposed to move to this town where I started the business, I know that you've developed a lot of friendships, but he said, I really believe that this is the right thing to do. And I remember in our music room that day, he held all of our hands and tears were coming down his eyes because he knew this was a big decision to make, especially when there's kids involved. But when he called on God and he said, God, help us in this transition. At that very moment, I very precisely, very clearly remember a security that came into my heart that I remember thinking to myself, I feel the safest I have ever felt in my life because now my dad's not looking to himself for his own strength, but he's looking to the creator of the universe saying, Jesus, I need your help. And that implemented a security into my heart as a kid, even though I didn't know Jesus yet. That helped me feel safe as a kid. In Amos chapter 3, verse 3, it says, how can two walk together unless they're agreed? Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to be absolutely perfect. But what we're after is, as Jesus said, once again, seek first the kingdom of God, his ways of doing things, then all these other things will be added unto us. You know, uh, we need to always remember that God is more interested in our unity than he is in who's right or wrong. Like Sean mentioned earlier, he's interested in our unity as a family, as a church, as friends, and in, in the workplace, all of that kind of thing. Um, so it's important to always be praying and purposing to get on God's side. And, you know, also be doing everything you can to stay in unity in the relationship just in general. I love to use the analogy of a baseball team. If you think about a pitcher who's maybe having a, an off 
game, and he throws a wild pitch to the catcher. And let's just picture that the catcher has to run for the ball during the game. Now, when the catcher goes and runs for the ball and gets it, and he's throwing it back to the pitcher, would any catcher in their right mind ever think, well, he threw me such an off ball, I'm going to do the same thing back to him and make him run for it now and throw him an off ball so he has to get off the mound and run for it. Would any major league pitcher or catcher ever do that? No, no that would be ridiculous. That would be like asking to get fired and lose the game if that was done on purpose. And yet people in marriage and friendships do that all the time. They see their spouse uh, maybe act rude or say something unkind, and they think, well, if they're going to be rude to me, I didn't deserve that. I'm going to be rude right back to them. And instead of responding with a soft answer like the Bible says or, or giving gratitude or kindness or thinking, wow, they seem to be having an off day, so I'm going to do something to compensate for that to try to bring them back into their game. Instead, they just get rude right back. And that's like asking to lose the game. It's like asking to lose as a team. We would never do that if we were playing baseball. And we need to be just as smart in our relationships and think, you know what, if the other one is saying something that just seems kind of off, kind of rude, they're having a bad day, do everything you can to use a soft answer and be kind and to pull them back into their game. Yeah, it's really saying, God, I'm going to submit to your way. I'm going to keep following. I'm going to take the high road, and I'm going to trust you to deal with this issue, this situation. And so when you follow his principles, instead of, uh, you know, when evil has been given to you, to return evil with evil is to show kindness instead, Jesus said. Let God deal with that person. Don't you step into the flesh and deal with that. Again, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 reminds us, don't let the sun go down in your wrath. In other words, if you sense strife in your marriage, if you sense strife among your children, stop. Hold hands with each other and say, can we just take a moment and pray together? Keep going to Jesus. Keep seeking him. And when you do, Lord, lead us in our conversations. That's about how long the prayer needs to be. Help us to act like you or talk like you to each other. Anytime we've ever done that over the years and over 21 years now, we have immediately had unity form because the book of Acts reminds us of that. When people, when the church would pray together, there was unity and like-mindedness, one accord that would take place. There's something supernatural and so powerful that takes place in relationships when people, I've done this with employees. I've done this with uh, my coworkers. I've done this with, uh, you know, people that are on just, you know, my colleagues. I've done this in our marriage, of course, for many years and with our children every day. So the goal is let's keep seeking Christ, following his way. And if someone's off having an off day, don't lower, don't lower your standards and come down to their way. Don't get back, you know, into the flesh, you could say. Stay in the spirit and keep following Christ in his way. Remember in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, it reminds us that when, when we seek, when we humble ourselves and we pray, God will heal our land. He'll heal our marriage. He'll heal our family. He'll heal our children. He'll heal our relationships. There's a great story, and we're going to have to wrap it up for the sake of time. But in 1 Samuel chapter 25, there's a great story of a man named Nabal and his wife Abigail. Now, Nabal, and his, Nabal was a very, very wealthy man, but he was also a very foolish man, the Bible says. And he was very evil in his deeds. Now, his wife was a, not only just a, a beautiful woman, but she was just as beautiful on the inside. It said that she was of a woman of good understanding. However, here's the story and what goes down. So Nabal has his men out there shearing his sheep and all that stuff and going on. But David and his mighty men uh, are all surrounding them, protecting them at night, doing, showing them kindness and honor. 
And so one day David says, hey, could you ask Nabal some of, you know, could you go to Nabal and ask him if we could borrow some things? Could we have a few things, um, you know, some food, some things like that? And uh, so these men of David went to Nabal and said, Nabal, is it possible that we could, you know, utilize some of your resources? And they showed him honor. They showed him respect. And they were just, Nabal comes back and he says, are you kidding me? Uh, who is he? I mean, he's like a dead man. I mean, who is he? I mean, there's a lot of people that depart from their master and all that stuff. He was super critical that they took off on their high heels, left. Now, Nabal's men actually told him, said, David's people have been super nice to us. They protected us at night, but he wouldn't listen to their wisdom. Now, when Abigail, his wife, found out about it, so Nabal's men went to Abigail because they knew she was a woman of good understanding. They said, listen, David's men came to us and asked if we could have, if they could use some things. And this is what Nabal did. Now, here's what the wise woman did because she had authority in her home. She started doing some things to make food and all these things. She rushed out to David. She fell on her face before David and said, please forgive your maidservant. And she humbled herself before David and went on to just make this very precious apology on behalf of her husband. Now, David stopped because David was on his way to kill him and all Nabal's men. And uh, he stopped in his tracks and said, because of you, I will not shed any blood. Now, Nabal, of course, she goes home. Nabal's completely drunk, intoxicated, and so she holds her breath. She doesn't say anything to Nabal about what was about to happen. But later that next day, when he started sobering up, she explained. And it says that his heart basically stopped. He went stone dead kind of thing. Ten days later, he was dead. God dealt with his heart because David, number one, heeded the advice of this woman. Now, if Nabal had gone to his wife and said, honey, what do you think? There's these guys that came in. We don't really know them that well, but what do you think? And, and of course, Abigail would have consulted and said, well, honey, I really think we should. They've been super nice to our men, and I really think. Now, if he had, it would have preserved his life, literally. I want you to understand there is tremendous power in protection and provision when we submit ourselves, godly submission. And again, kids, to your parents, I know they're not going to be perfect all the time. Husbands, wives, I know they're not going to always be perfect. And of course, when we submit ourselves to Christ, what we're saying is we're going to do everything we know to do as unto you. So when we keep a right heart, trusting God to deal with the things that are wrong, and we keep taking the high road, you will go places you never dreamed possible. I'll close with this. There's a true story of a woman who, uh, of uh, some people that we know that are in ministry, full-time ministry. They, were, they started a ministry downtown Chicago in a really rough neighborhood. Now, there's a lot of drug dealers and so on. And this woman came to her pastor one day and said, Pastor, now what is she doing? She's seeking advice. She's looking for con, uh, just wisdom. Safety note, Proverbs once again says in Proverbs 11, verse 14, that wise counsel is a safety net. She went to her pastor. What's she doing? She's submitting, saying, okay, I know there's authority. I believe that God can speak through my pastor, just like he can speak to me, but I do trust in this ranking thing, this authority thing. So she goes to her pastor and says, pastor, here's what's going on. Every day from 12 p.m. until 12 a.m., these drug dealers are going on. There's fighting. There's gang fighting. There's all this stuff going on. They're shooting throughout the day. My kids, our neighbor's kids, they don't feel safe going out and playing in the streets. They don't feel safe playing outside. They don't feel safe in our neighborhood at all because of all this is going on. He says, ladies stand in the middle. They surrounded her as all the staff did. They surrounded her. They started praying for her. Then they gave her a bottle of oil. 
oil representing the Holy Spirit. They prayed a blessing over the oil and said to the woman, Lady, I want you to take this oil and I want you to dump it down the middle of that street where those drug lords have been. I want you to dump it. Just go right down that line. She didn't question. She said, why do I have to do that? She didn't do that. She just simply submitted to what the Holy Spirit was saying through this pastor. She goes and she does exactly that. A few weeks later, she comes back and she says, Pastor, I just want you to know. Now, he already knew it was going to work if she followed and stayed in submission. She said, it worked. Tell me what happened. They came out the next day for one hour and they never came out again. What am I saying is there is provision, there are benefits, there is protection. When you godly submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ and the authority that God has placed above you, and you submit yourself to one another, not looking down at anybody, but just saying, you're my equal. What are you picking up by the Holy Spirit? Are you sensing anything? Are you okay with it? When you have that sense of agreement, then you can move forward like a submarine in water. If you receive this today, would you say amen? Would you bow your head and close your eyes, please? Father, we thank you so much for your amazing grace today. We just want to say thank you from the depths of our heart for just teaching, mentoring, coaching us to learn what really godly submission looks like. And I know that a submission has been abused over the years, and I know some people have had a really bad taste in their mouth regarding submission. But, Lord, thank you from the depths of our heart for teaching us these last couple of weeks what godly submission really looks like. Lord, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful that it's changing us uh, inside out. We trust you with all of our heart, and we thank you from the depths of our heart for equipping us, enhancing us, empowering us in Jesus' name. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, those that are watching online, those that are here in person, if you've never made the decision to receive Jesus, or you know it deep down in your heart, you're not following Jesus the way that you could or should, and you're saying, Pastor, I need to give my life back to Jesus. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you and you're saying, Pastor, pray for me. I want to receive Jesus Christ, or I want to recommit my heart to the Lord Jesus. Would you slip every hands all over this room right now? Just acknowledge, and I need to receive Jesus, or I need to recommit my heart to the Lord Jesus. Thank you for your hands. Any others who are saying, Pastor, pray for me too. I want to receive Jesus. I want to recommit my heart to the Lord Jesus. Just a moment longer. Anyone else? Okay, excellent. Let's do this. Let's take a moment. Let's put a hand on our heart. Let's pray this prayer together. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, it says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter what you've done wrong. All that matters is what Jesus Christ has done right. Would you pray this prayer out loud with those that are making that quality choice and decision today? Follow me in this prayer, please. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father forgive, me forgive me of all my sins. Of all my sins. Jesus, Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my heart. I, accept you I accept you as my Lord. As my Savior, my Savior and my best friend. And my best friend. Thank, you Thank you for dying on the cross for, on the cross for, all, of my sins. for all of my sins. I commit, I commit my, life my life to you, to you. Now, now and forever. And forever. Holy, Spirit, Holy Spirit, fill me, fill me with, your presence. with your presence. Lead me, Lead me. Guide, me guide me into all truth. Into all truth. In Jesus' name, In Jesus name. Amen, amen and amen. Would you give the Lord a big hand clap? Let him know how much you love him.